Welcome to Paper Boys, the podcast where we unravel the research papers behind the latest major headlines in science. Every Thursday, we go to the source of the story to open up the work behind beautiful new discoveries and cut through misinformation in the media. I'm your host, James, and today I'm bringing in a paper about a new chemotherapy sponge, you might say. Chemotherapy sponge? That sounds crazy. I am your other host, Charlie. I have not read this paper, clearly. So I'm going to ask James a lot of questions and hopefully get all the juicy details out of him. (laughs) We're both PhD students who read lots of papers for our own research. So this podcast is our way of sharing our love for science, reading about science, and talking about science with anyone who wants to learn about the discoveries that affect us all. In short, we are the Paper Boys. Okay, James, you are going to have to really explain this one to me. The two words chemotherapy and sponge don't really go together in my mind. So what is this all about? So it's not actually a sponge. I'm going to come out straight from the beginning and say that. Wow. Well, you really actually came out straight from the beginning and said that it was a sponge. (laughs) Now you're correcting (laughs) yourself. Right after the beginning, I'm going to come out and say it's not a sponge. All right. There's our own little clickbait that we get to throw in the beginning. Well, to be fair, those were a lot of the headlines I was reading. And like you, I saw this talk about a chemotherapy sponge, and I was curious. Okay, so you wanted to draw me in the same way that you got drawn in, and now you'll walk me back through your undrawing that you discovered in the paper. If I understood that (laughs) a little bit, then yes, exactly. Good, (laughs) good. I'm excited. (laughs) So the headlines that I saw were cancer, quote, sponge could cut hair loss and other side effects of chemotherapy, and... I don't know why they talk about hair loss first. There are many effects of chemotherapy. Yeah, Um, I mean, that's the most kind of visual one that people associate with chemotherapy. That's true. Yeah. Well, that headline's also misleading in its own way, but we'll talk about that later. Oh, man. So so much misleading and misdirection here. Yeah. And uh, the other ones, they weren't that bad. Medium said how this, quote, sponge can help clean up chemo, which is basically the same thing. And then a, quote, less toxic chemotherapy hope from bbc okay so uh, the gist that i'm getting from these headlines is something that is helping to make chemotherapy less harmful to your body yeah exactly because chemotherapy is when they inject these cancer-fighting drugs into your veins right and it kind of circulates your whole body but it's really just trying to target only where the cancer is yes exactly generally for cancer our approach to treatment has been pretty brutal Since cancer cells are essentially identical to human cells, you try to kill them, and as a result, you end up destroying a lot of healthy cells as well. Yeah. Chemotherapy is the prime example of that. Okay. You just inject it in, it gets circulated everywhere, and you hope that the other cells are healthier enough. Okay. And so is that the reason for all of those bad side effects, like losing your hair and getting nauseous and losing weight? Yeah. Yeah. There's generally sort of this linear relationship between the amount of chemo that you use and how fast it kills cells. So, you know, with cancer, you're racing against the clock. You want to try to get rid of this tumor as fast as possible so it doesn't continue to grow and spread. So you want to use as much chemo as possible. But as a result, um, there's a lot of peripheral damage to your body. Oh, man, that's horrible. So then how is this sponge? Well, first of all, is this really even a sponge? You said that that's kind of misleading. So it's not really a sponge. Yeah. 
the similarity with the sponge is a sponge takes in and holds some other material, like water. Oh, okay. So it's kind of like metaphorically a sponge, not literally. Metaphorically a sponge. Yes. It would be neat if there was a little sponge that would like sop up extra chemo drugs. But uh, this is more, I would say, along the lines of like an air filter where you have these particles coming in. Instead of air, it would be blood. So like a blood filter. And one way you could kind of visualize it, they have some nice photos of it that we'll link to on the website. But if you imagine you took a fistful of straws so you have this structure in this big cylinder, but like a liquid could still flow through. Oh, yeah, through. gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so then the blood just flows through the straws. But now you could imagine you could coat the inside of the straws with a material that would bind to chemo. As the chemo flows through, it would bind to the inside of the cylinder and would be prevented from flowing through to the rest of your body. But then the blood would keep going. Yes. Yep. Wait, so... Is this like a machine that's doing this or is this literally something that you actually have to put in your bloodstream to make happen? You'd actually have to put this in your bloodstream. But what's cool is it's totally passive. And the researchers who developed it put a lot of thought into it. So they designed the size such that it could actually very easily be injected into your vein using what's called endovascular techniques. So it's like very non-invasive. They use it a lot for doing heart stints and other measurements. Okay, so at the same time as them injecting chemo drugs into your blood, Mm -hmm. they're also injecting this device. Yeah. So the general way you would use this is you would do two of these insertion techniques. One is you'd put this tube in your vein close to the tumor site, and this would be the upstream vein, so where blood is coming from. And then you do another injection site and put this filter in, so where blood's flowing out of, so like the blood drain So blood with chemo flows into the tumor, blood with chemo flows out of the tumor, the excess chemo, Yeah, and then it goes through this filter. So right after the tumor, all this excess chemo gets trapped, but the rest of the blood can flow through cleanly. Wow. Okay. So you're injecting the chemo upstream of the tumor, and then downstream, you're just catching all those drugs again and not letting them continue on to the rest of your body. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's insane. That's like, I mean, that's genius. It's like, how come we didn't think of that before? But I'm sure it's a whole nanotechnology problem. How big is this device? So this device is, if you imagine a cylinder, it's five millimeters in diameter and 30 millimeters long. That's bigger than I thought. It's not, yeah, it's not super small, 30 millimeters, three centimeters, but they designed it with a couple interesting constraints in mind. First being, these are the dimensions of common vein diameters. Okay. So it fits. And the 30 millimeters long is derived from the common length of what's called the common iliac vein. That's a vein that drains blood from your abdomen into your lower limbs. Okay. This could work for things like different tumors in your organs. Okay. So they kind of picked like a good general size that would work for most types of chemo that you'd want to use. Yep. Yep. So, what, sorry, we uh, backing up a little bit, we keep saying they. Who actually made this device? Like, what's the paper that all these news articles have been talking about? That's a great point. The paper is called 3D Printed Absorber for Capturing Chemotherapy Drugs Before They Spread Through the Body. It was published from individuals at, at a couple different organizations, um, University of California, Berkeley, Lawrence Berkeley National Labs, University of California, San Francisco, UNC and NC State. First author just to give credit, is He Jung Oh from Berkeley. Um, but there are many people on the paper. Okay, and what journal was this in? 
This was published in the journal American Chemical Society Central Science. Okay. So, respected journal on all things chemical, uh, including things like chemotherapy. Okay. So one thing I noticed in the title is you said 3D printed. Yeah. Yeah, it was 3D printed, but probably in a technique that's a little more advanced than we're used to in like traditional maker spaces. Yeah, not like the the one that some hobbyist has at his house. You're yeah, not printing chemo sponges yourself. No, and the tolerances on this are obviously much much tighter than like the little Star Wars fingering that you 3D print for your niece okay. or something like that. Yeah. So it's kind of the catch-all 3D printing terminology versus like what we think of typically as 3D printing. Yes, but I do think it lends itself to like high volume, cheap manufacturing. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So this is something that could be rolled out as a product. Yes. Okay. Yep. You know, we talked about this cylindrical shape. Um, it's important to mention inside of this is sort of this, they call it a lattice structure. So if you imagine a cube and then just having the frame of that cube, there are a bunch of these distributed inside the diameter of the cylinder so that blood can pass through. But there's also a high surface area inside which they can then add a polymer that binds to the drug okay so the actual mechanism of collecting the chemo is the polymer yes what is this polymer i knew you were going to ask me that <laughs> and uh this is a bit of a tongue twister the surfaces of this cylinder were coated with a bear with me polytert-butylstyrene b polyethylene copropylene b polystyrene co-styrene sulfonate b poly Ethylene, copropylene, B poly, tert, oh butyl styrene, also known as PTBS, PEP, PSS, PEP, PTBS, block copolymer. <laughs> they, like, also known colloquially as, it sounds like a broken Google Translate or something. <laughs> yeah. Like when you just say text to speech and you type in a bunch of fake letters and. <laughs> Yeah, if anyone is in material science or knows more chemistry than I do, which is everybody, uh, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> that was ridiculous. Yeah, you know, it's just your average, your average polyterpetylstyrene. Yeah, you know, your PTBCBBBQUSG yeah. polymer. How many people read that and were just like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I worked with that once before. Uh, yeah, hey, hey Mary, polymer. remember last week when we were working with uh, polybutyl P pyrostyrene? Yeah, I'm a little more partial to the PTBSBBGQBBSBB. <laughs> that but... one random letter in amongst <laughs> yeah. the hundreds. But <laughs> Cool, yeah. I'm glad I asked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you for asking, Charlie. Thank you for preparing that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, so we've got this, well, let's just call it, what are the first two letters? PT? PT. All right, let's just call it PT polymer. So they've got this PT polymer that I'm guessing through like millions of trial and error they found is very good at binding to these drugs. Yes, it's good you mentioned that because uh, it took them a lot of trial and error because it's a challenging problem. They had known from previous research that this very long named polymer would bind to the chemotherapy drug. They're specifically looking at the drug doxorubicin, which is pretty common for treating different forms of cancer. Okay. So they knew this polymer had an affinity for that drug, but what was hard is to also get, develop a polymer that would bind to the cylinder itself, which was printed by photo-induced cross-linking of a polyethylene glycol diacrylate, or PEGDA. Oh, I like that one better. That one's it's a little better easier. Acronym. It yeah. rolls off the tongue a little easier. Um, so finding this, this polymer that could do both things, bind to the cylinder and bind to the chemo, the chemo drug, was very challenging. Okay. But they did it. 
That's awesome. I mean, that's like a, a cool engineering problem, it sounds like. Yeah. And so they have this cylinder with this lattice structure inside. Yeah, I kind of want to ask more about this lattice structure. You said it had some particular form that created more surface area. Yeah. What's the point of that, and what is the structure specifically? That's a great question. So you can imagine if you just had a cylinder and you just coated the outside of it, you could easily calculate the surface area. In this case, that would give you, um, for their dimensions, a little over 400 millimeters squared. Okay. But by hollowing it out and then adding in this lattice structure, you greatly increase your surface area. So by doing this, they almost increased the surface area by four times to a total of 2,000 millimeters squared. Oh, wow. And the benefit of having more surface area is, is like as simple as more blood gets in contact with it? More blood gets in contact, and then there's more surface area for more chemo to bind. You can okay. imagine the chemo binds and sort of takes up a little spot. So the more surface area you have, there's more seats on the train. Okay, good analogy. And I'm starting to appreciate the air filter analogy as well now, that you're kind of creating almost more stuff to block the chemo, like a more fine structure than just the inside of the cylinder to catch more of the drug. Yes. Okay. Yep. And there were some good engineering trades that they talk about in the paper. They built the lattice structure so that it was big enough that after putting the polymer on, it wouldn't be so small that it could damage blood cells that were passing through. Oh, I see. Like a white blood cell is the largest component of your blood with the maximum dimension of about 20 microns, 20 micrometers. Okay. 20 millionths of a meter. So they designed it so that all the blood cells would be able to pass through without damage. Okay, cool. That's smart. Yeah. It's almost like these guys are top level scientists at national labs. (laughs) You would never think it by their titles or affiliations. (laughs) Just kidding. So they did a lot of these trade studies and engineering design to say, theoretically, yeah, we wouldn't damage the blood cells, all these things. Did they actually test this in some way and prove that this thing actually works in a real person's bloodstream? They did. They didn't do it in a human. Um, This is still well before it would ever be approved for clinical treatments. Okay. So they started with pigs. So they did in vivo tests. Um, Wait, so these are live pigs? So in live pigs, wow, they did three different experimental trials. And it, it's cool. It's like your prototypical science experiment. You want to figure out how well your thing works. So you create a control case. So they put these cylinders in the vein of a pig. Upstream, they injected a chemotherapy drug. Yeah, okay. And just after that, they measured from the bloodstream to see and verify how much chemo was initially in the bloodstream. Okay, so this is just control device, no polymer. They're not collecting any of the chemo with the sponge yet. They just want to see how much chemo comes out the other side when you are not doing anything. Yes, and so then they measure just after it. So their hypothesis they w- that they want to see is, is this polymer on the cylinder really collecting the chemo, or is it oh. just the cylinder itself that's filtering out I the see. chemo? I see, some other effect. Yeah. Okay, so the control device, no polymer, they measure the other side, and did they find that it was collecting anything without the polymer? And what they found was, no, the cylinder does not, on its own, without this special long-named polymer, does not collect any of the chemo drug. Okay, so control case is cylinders do nothing. Yep. Then I'm guessing experimental case. Experimental case, they coated the cylinder with this fancy polymer, injected it, and what they found was very promising. It actually absorbed, on average, 65% of the downstream chemo drug. That means 65% 
of this drug that would have normally just been flowing through the rest of your bloodstream, causing a lot of damage, was collected. That's crazy. Yeah, that's a lot. That is a lot, yeah. I mean, that could have a huge effect on your quality of life if you were taking these drugs. Oh, yeah. I mean, for an average chemotherapy dose, it's like you would feel a lot better. Or if you're really worried, this would enable you to do higher doses in certain instances. Oh, I see. Oh, that I didn't think about that. So you could actually bump up your chemo treatment by, you know, whatever 100 over 65% or 100 over 35% is and have the same side effects as though you were just doing a regular dose of chemo. Yeah. And maybe then you would only need fewer trials or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So there would be a lot of benefits if you could actually take this to market. That's amazing. I mean, that's a really, hopefully it's going to change a lot of people's lives if, if it works as well in humans as it does in their pigs. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm wondering still though, all of those chemo drugs get stuck up in this filter. What if those come like dislodged? What if that all gets released back into your bloodstream? Yeah, you can imagine instance like with the air filter analogy, like if you had this dirty air filter and you blew on it and like all this dust came up in your face, except if that was a chemo drug. Something that would, yeah, destroy your body. (laughs) That would be really bad. And this was another exciting finding from it. They found that the chemo drug irreversibly binds to the filter. Really? So they put the cylinder that was coated with a polymer and used in the test, so it had absorbed a lot of the chemo in the bloodstream. Mm -hmm. They put it in a solution that would normally dissolve it out. And they found that there was almost no chemo came off of it. So that's oh, really? really good. So once it's bound on there, it's on there. So after they administer the chemo, they can just pull this out non-invasively. So the idea is, you know, if this solution can't even get the chemo off, then your bloodstream definitely isn't going to pull any more of the chemo off. Yeah, exactly. And I should say minimally inv- invasively, not non-invasively. Okay. But so do, is this something that it's easy enough that they can put in just for the duration of your couple hours of chemo treatment and then take back out? Or is this more like you'd put it in, leave it in for the three months during which you're going in for chemo, and then at the end you take it out? It's a great question. From my understanding, this would be something that you'd use every time you do chemo treatment. So for each treatment session. Yep. Yep. Okay. I mean, that's interesting. That's an interesting distinction because it's Definitely changes what effect this might have on your decision to use it or the practicality of it. Yeah, it's a little unnerving to think about this thing. Every time you get treatment, they have to put this in. But it's supposed to be, it basically just feels like a needle prick. And then you don't know. Okay. They guide it up. And they're very long ways away from actually doing any sort of clinical trials. But But it's cool. You know, it's neat to think of these passive ways and potentially low cost ways to really improve treatment. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's like a pretty amazing little invention and an amazing result to find. Yeah, and aside from alleviating the physical burden of chemotherapy, it also just opens up a lot of new clinical applications that could really help treatment. You could think about using multiple absorbers, maybe in different parts of your body as well, to help prevent that. Like, maybe there'd be a way to help prevent chemo like traveling upwards. So, Oh, I see. Like a little bit of extra protection near your stomach or something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Or maybe and, like multiple filters will successively capture a, you know, more and more of a percentage of the chemo. Yeah. Maybe you could bring that percentage up from 65%, like almost nearly to 100%. Yeah. And then what was, I just found kind of neat with their approach to 3D printing it. It means that they'd have a lot of ability to customize these filters. So you wouldn't be stuck with just, you know, your vanilla cylinder. <laughs> like a one size fits all. Yeah, you could actually 
make measurements of the person's body using CT scans or MRIs and then custom make these filters so that they fit better and, you know, cause less peripheral damage. Wow. That would be incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So overall, I I just thought it was a really neat design. It encompassed a lot of interesting and important trade-offs and... I think it's an important research contribution. Yeah, I mean, this was a very cool invention and a very cool paper. And I like what you said about it being kind of a prototypical science experiment where after the whole very cool engineering side of it, which is, if you ask me, is also very prototypical engineering. Problem, solution, you know, very specific design choices made. But then the prototypical science experiment where you say, we need to figure out if this thing works. Let's just test it with nothing. Then we'll test it with something without our hypothesized solution and then we'll test it with the hypothesized solution and just like direct comparison it's like you can't even argue with that result you know no the the graph of the data shows it all like the filter did what it was intended to do it was a success and if if james is telling you the graph showed things clearly you know it's a good graph i stand by my graph we've got a, a figure connoisseur over here i just love it a long dense science story in a just a couple blots of ink. Yeah. So based on everything that you told me about this paper, those headlines are sounding less and less accurate. The phrase sponge didn't really come up much in the paper. No, I think the only reason sponge comes up is it's handy to use the word absorb when you're talking about this. But I see. after reading the articles that I did in the popular science news spectrum, they were actually decent. You know, they did a good job of talking about how the device filters the blood, how it's injected, and the results that they had from the paper. The paper itself was actually really straightforward. So anyone who's reading it, I think, could come away um, with minimal effort, come away with the main points with minimal effort. Oh, that's good, because a paper like this could very easily be impenetrable. Yeah. I mean, all you have to do is look at the name of that polymer and (laughs) run away with fear. Yeah, just put it away <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah i thought it got a fair shake in popular media and um aside from the like somewhat strange headlines they did an okay job okay that's reassuring then yeah so if you're interested to find out more about this paper if you want to check it out we'll be posting it to our website as well as links to the popular science news articles as well again our website is paperboyspodcast.com If you like this episode, please share it on social media or send it to a friend, anyone you know who is kind of into science. Um, You can also contact us on Twitter and Instagram at PaperboysPod. James is an Instagram fiend. We love engaging with people. So join us next week for another exciting edition of Paperboys. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 